rest as their quarry paraded its sudden intimacy with us, and the faint toot of a horn in the distance was seized on as a welcome signal for unobtrusive departure. Constance and I and the hyena were left alone in the gathering twilight. "'What are we to do?' asked Constance. "'What a person you are for questions,' I said. "'Well, we can't stay here all night with a hyena,' she retorted. "'I don't know what your ideas of comfort are,' I said, "'but I shouldn't think of staying here all night even without a hyena.' My home may be an unhappy one, but at least it has hot and cold water laid on, and domestic service, and other conveniences which we shouldn't find here. We had better make for that ridge of trees to the right. I imagine the Crowley Road is just beyond. We trotted off slowly along a faintly marked cart track, with the beast following cheerfully at our heels. What on earth are we to do with the hyena? came the inevitable question. "'What does one generally do with hyenas?' I asked crossly. "'I've never had anything to do with one before,' said Constance. "'Well, neither have I. "'If we even knew its sex, we might give it a name. "'Perhaps we might call it Esma. "'That would do in either case.' "'There was still sufficient daylight for us to distinguish wayside objects.' and our listless spirits gave an upward perk as we came across a small, half-naked gypsy brat picking blackberries from a low-growing bush. The sudden apparition of two horsewomen and a hyena set it off crying, and in any case we should scarcely have gleaned any useful geographic information from that source, but there was a probability that we might strike a gypsy encampment somewhere along our route. We rode on, hopefully, but uneventfully, for another mile or so. "'I wonder what that child was doing there,' said Constance, presently. "'Picking blackberries, obviously.' "'I don't like the way it cried,' pursued Constance. "'Somehow its wail keeps ringing in my ears.' "'I did not chide Constance for her morbid fantasies.' As a matter of fact, the same sensation of being pursued by a persistent fretful wail had been forcing itself on my rather overtired nerves. For company's sake, I hallooed to Esma, who had lagged somewhat behind. With a few springy bounds, he drew up level and then shot past us. The wailing accompaniment was explained. The gypsy child was firmly, and I expect painfully, held in his jaws. Merciful heaven! screamed Constance. What on earth shall we do? What are we to do? I am perfectly certain that at the last judgment Constance will ask more questions than any of the examining seraphs. Can't we do something? she persisted tearfully as Esma cantered easily along in front of our tired horses. Personally, I was doing everything that occurred to me at the moment. I stormed and scolded and coaxed in English and French and gamekeeper language. I made absurd, ineffectual cuts in the air with my thongless hunting crop.
I hurled my sandwich case at the brute. In fact, I really don't know what more I could have done. And still we lumbered on, through the deepening dusk, with that dark, uncouth shape lumbering ahead of us, and a drone of lugubrious music floating in our ears. Suddenly, Esma bounded aside into some thick bushes, where we could not follow. The wail rose to a shriek, and then stopped altogether. This part of the story I always hurry over, because it really is rather horrible. When the beast joined us again after an absence of a few minutes, there was an air of patient understanding about him, as though he knew that he had done something of which we disapproved, but which he felt to be thoroughly justifiable. How can you let that ravening beast trot?